Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing the Lagan Valley area filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Good remain standing with me for a few moments longer. I'm going to read today's teaching text, which is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that we in him might become the righteousness of God. Good to see you all. Um, If we haven't met before, my name is Andrew Richard Joseph Masters. Some people are laughing because they know that my mum is in the room, and if I say I'm Andy, I don't get any Sunday lunch. So um, anyway, you're so, I know, there's lots of people here giving me my lunch. Um, Anyway, you're really welcome. Good to see you. I hope you're well. For any of you who've been journeying with us over the past kind of couple of months, um, we did a series for six weeks called Metrics. And uh, really, in the metric series, we were delving into what is it that we as a community want to measure? What's really important to us? Why is that important? And then we actually um, asked you guys questions. And for like six weeks, you were filling in surveys like crazy, or at least most of you were. And if you appreciate the question two weeks ago on how many of you feel totally capable to cast demons out of people? So that was a good question, right? We, we were uh, debating how to ask that question, and we thought there's no better way to ask that question. So anyway, um, for any of you that are into stats and uh, are interested in that kind of stuff, Sunday the 19th of May, okay, we're going to actually do a big kind of community feedback on what we found out, and uh, it's been really, really interesting. Some of it has been deeply encouraging, some of it deeply discouraging. And uh, that's exactly what we hope for in the metric series, to actually get a sense of what's really going on and how are we really doing. So Sunday the 19th of May, we're going to do some feedback on that, so you won't want to miss that. And then Sunday the 26th of May, is it up there? There it goes. Sunday 20, no, 5th, Saturday, what am I talking about? Saturday 25th of May, we're going for a big church day out. Uh, We've had the privilege over the last two weeks of baptizing 17 people. Thank you so much for those of you who came out and supported them Easter Sunday night and uh, three Sunday nights ago. And we're going to be doing uh, beach baptisms on the 25th of May in Murloc Bay. And so if you haven't been baptized, you're interested in being baptized, or you just want to go for a swim, um, (laughs) come and... uh, I'm just kidding. Um, if, if you haven't been baptized and you're interested at all, uh, please come and speak to us. We would love for you to be baptized on the Saturday 25th in Murloc Bay. Um, you might need to be brave and bring a wetsuit and all that sort of stuff, but we will be doing that. You can email me um, at my name that shan't not be named with my mum's presence. Uh, it's Andy at lagvalleyvineyard.com. Um, or Laura at lifetimeinyard.com and uh, email us. We'd love to connect and help you uh, get baptized on the 25th of May. 
Wonderful. Um, some of you maybe read about uh, the study they did, uh, I think it's about 20 years ago now, but um, some psychologists and scientists um, did this kind of mean uh, experiment on a monkey, right? And uh, they put this monkey in a cage, and the goal of the experiment was to scare the monkey as much as they possibly could, right? Now, they didn't actually physically harm the monkey. They just wanted to terrify the monkey as much as they possibly could. And uh, while they were scaring the monkey, right, lights and noise and all sorts of stuff, they were measuring what was going on in the monkey's brain. And they were trying to figure out if during, um, like, this experience of terror, the monkey was stressed, Right? And so they were measuring the stress hormone in the monkey's brain during kind of freaking the monkey out. Guess what they discovered? The monkey was really stressed. <laughs> I know. Praise God for scientists, right? Um, that's not the interesting part, right? So then they ran the experiment again. Exactly the same um, environment, all that sort of stuff, except for one, one thing was different. They gave the monkey a friend. They put another monkey in the cage and they ran the experiment exactly the same as they had done before. They terrified the monkey. They did all the flashing lights, all the noise, all that sort of stuff. And whenever they looked at the levels of stress hormone in the brain with the friend present, guess what they discovered? The stress in the monkey had decreased by 50%. It was 50% less stressed simply by the presence of a friend in the little cage with him. My boys have recently discovered hide and seek. Um, some of you will know that we're uh, on this mad adventure trying to build a house in the Dramara Hills. And so anytime we go up on the site now, um, we go and play hide and seek, or they say, hey, can we play hide and seek? It's really funny. One of them has to kind of stand and count out loud to 30 and then do the ready or not, here I come kind of thing. And then they start counting. I run off to find somewhere to hide. And every single time I do it, I find a really good hiding place and I look beside me and there's one of the kids. And I was chatting to one of them last Monday night. We were actually camping up on the site. I was like, why are you hiding beside me? He said, I'm a bit scared to hide my own dad. You remember that when you were a kid? You know, whenever, like depending on, the, depending on the environment where you were playing hide and seek, sometimes it was like, yep, let's see if we can hide in crazy places for as long as possible. There are other places where we used to play hide and seek, particularly for us. My grandparents lived in this old kind of creepy house. And anytime we played hide and seek in, in there, nobody ever wanted to hide on their own. There's something about the presence of others that helps us cope with life. The reality is, as those incredible scientists discovered, freaking out monkeys, and really all of us, if we just reflect on our life, is life is better with others. In fact, community is good for your health. That's just true. Community is good for your health. But not all community, right? I mean, there's some people that are bad for your health. Just nudge the person beside you and say, I think he's talking about you. <laughs> like, the reality is that some people, just them being in our lives, they, like, reduce our stress. They just make life better. And there are other people, just their presence in our lives makes life harder, right? Or more, or more stressful. Truth be told... <laughs> Truth be told, we are now living through what psychologists are calling an epidemic of loneliness. I find this so interesting. Psychologists are now saying, here in the West, we are living through an epidemic of loneliness. The irony being that our Facebook accounts tell us that we have hundreds or thousands of friends 
Incidentally, so some of the hard work we're going to have to do as parents of redefining what that word actually means. Because if our definition from friendship comes from Facebook, then we're deeply confused and perhaps doomed. One of the most harrowing statistics I've read over the past few years, this absolutely shocked me when I read it for the first time, is that here in Northern Ireland, more people have died by suicide since the signing of the Good Friday Agreement than were killed by violence through the entirety of the Troubles. More people here in Northern Ireland have died as a result of suicide since the signing of the Good Friday Agreement than were killed through the entirety of the Troubles. That is deeply, deeply shocking. I know that every single individual in those stats has their own story, but it is not hard to see that as a society, our sense of isolation and hopelessness is utterly rampant. One commentator that I read quite a lot of commented in the last couple of weeks that in the West, we have never lived in a time where there was more freedom. Freedom is the ultimate holy grail or aspirational value of the culture that we live in. And anybody that would seek to put boundaries or curtail the freedom of others might as well be cast out and never seen again. As a culture, we we have never lived in a time when there was more freedom. In fact, the same commentator lives in Melbourne. We spent some time together last year, and he was talking about this group of people in Melbourne. This is an absolutely true story. A group of people in Melbourne who have decided that they are crows, like actual crows, This is why Northern Ireland will never be Australia. Can you imagine that? Walking through the park in (laughs) Dromore. See a bunch of adults dressed up as crows. It's kind of funny, but it's also kind of scary, right? We've never lived in a time when there was more freedom and equally less meaning. Our culture is full of freedom and completely absent, absent, of meaning. The deep fear that haunts all of us, at least from time to time. Does anybody see me? And does anybody care? The truth being, for many of us, we spend our lives surrounded by other people. It's one of the quirks of this little place called Northern Ireland, where most of us live within a stone's throw of where we grew up. And if we don't live within a stone's throw, it's a short car journey. And even if you grew up in Coleraine and you now live in Newry, in world terms, it's still a short car journey. I used to find this fascinating when we first moved here or moved back from, from the States, you know, and like an hour's drive to Dublin was like, pack the car, you know, get some snacks, be prepared to stop along the way, you know. We're surrounded, we're surrounded by people, and yet the loneliness pervades. It's possible to be married and be lonely. It's possible to live and work in a bustling office surrounded by people every single day and yet struggle with a deep sense of loneliness. You see, loneliness is not actually about being alone. It's about not feeling connected. Loneliness is not about being on your own. It's about not being connected. I mean, I'm like a 
massive extrovert, right? So like all my energy comes from my external world and I just want to be around people as much as I possibly can. And yet, at least for two or three days, most years, I'll disappear off to monastery down in Rostrever and do two or three days in silence and solitude. And what's crazy is, in those two or three days, if you ever had a meal with a bunch of people in silence, it can be really awkward, right? You know, because it's a monastery, there's lots of people there, but nobody talks, right? So you sit down and have food, and, you know, you're all sitting there just looking at each other, eating, eating your food. And yet, the sense of connection is profound. Loneliness is not about being alone. It's about not being connected. Connection is a craving written on our souls, and it's so much more important than proximity. Our need to be connected. Dana has been away for the past uh, week working in the States, and when she's traveling, we try to FaceTime at least a couple of times a day if the time zones kind of permit it. Can I tell you one of the hardest things for me to deal with whenever she's gone? Like it's not actually the kids or trying to stay on top of laundry, which I usually feel at. It's, it's not the food thing. It's not even the lack of sleep thing. The thing that I find hardest to deal with while she's gone is cheap hotel Wi-Fi. <laughs> it is so infuriating. There's nothing more infuriating for me than getting to the end of a pretty full day and looking forward to those 10 or 15 minutes where you get to process with your person and the Wi-Fi is rubbish and you get every third or fourth or fifth word and usually ends up actually in both of us really wanting to have an honest and open chat about what's going on, ending up in an argument because we're really frustrated that we can't actually connect and talk. You ever have that moment where you're on the phone call with somebody and it's really important what they're saying and you're doing your best to listen but the line starts to become disrupted and then you have that thing that happens in your head, how long do I let this go before I say, right? You know, you're like, you don't want to say it straight away because the line might get better but then actually you let it go for too long and now you have no idea what they're talking about as far as you're just to hang up and pretend you lost the line. (laughs) Just me? (laughs) I wonder for how many of us is that a metaphor for our relationships? Like we're, we're kind of connected, but the connection's dodgy. It's intermittent. We get every third or fourth word and nothing really makes sense. I wonder for how many parents in the room that's actually the perfect description of your relationship with your kids at the minute. I mean, there's loads of proximity they live in your house, but the connection's broken. I wonder even for some of you, maybe you've been married for years. There's tons of proximity. There's nothing really bad going on. The connection's just not quite working. Every third or fourth word, just enough to know what's going on, but not really, really connected. How does this sense of disconnection that I think all of us, if we're honest, at least sometimes struggle with, how does this sense of disconnection in our lives and in our hearts get healed? Where do we go? To reconnect. How do we 
go about doing that. See, the reality is that God's desire for us is that our relationships would be vibrant, that they would flourish, that they would be whole and not only bring us life and health, but that they would be the vehicle that his life and health flows through into the world around us. Listen again to our teaching text from this morning, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It's perhaps the best summary of the gospel. Behold, God is making everything new. Behold, God is making everything new. Every broken thing, every broken heart, every broken relationship, it's God's longing to make that new and it begins in us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone and the new is here. The scriptures teach us that when we honestly and completely turn from our sin and surrender to Jesus, he makes us new, like brand new. Why is that important? I wonder how many of you in the room this morning struggle with insecurity. If loneliness is at an epidemic level in our culture, I think equally is insecurity. Insecurity is like dodgy Wi-Fi. It makes real connection incredibly difficult. You see, insecure people are easily offended. Insecure people live guarded and scared that they will be taken advantage of. And insecure people use others to find meaning and significance. Insecurity is like a cancer in our relationships. It's impossible to have thriving relationships whilst being insecure. But in Christ, we get made new. The old is gone and the new has come. The old insecure self gets left behind and we get to live confident and secure in who God says that we are. The first step to restore connection with others is actually to restore a connection with God. If you want to have vibrant marriage or family or friendships, it begins with a vibrant friendship with God. Verse 19, God was reconciling the world to himself and Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Not counting people's sins against them. That's good news. That whatever mess is in your life, whatever mistakes you've made, whatever's going on that you'd rather not talk about or think about, God is not holding that against you. He's not counting it against you. Reconciliation in our relationships begins with reconciliation in our souls. See, it's funny, you can't think your way to, from insecurity to security. You can't just try harder or think better. Sure, there are certain skills or tools that you can learn to manage insecurity. But the gospel of the kingdom does not allow us to settle for the management of our brokenness. And how many of us are there? For honest stuff in our lives that we wish wasn't there, that we just try to manage. 
Jesus says that when we surrender our lives to him, we're made new. That the old has gone and the new has come. We are free from insecurity and we can live and relate to others from a place of deep security in the truth that our Father God is passionate about us, is for us, loves us. You see, security grows from acceptance. Security grows from acceptance. It is as we understand that in Christ we are accepted warts and all that security begins to grow in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. I remember saying to our daughter, whenever she was about three and a half, I was putting her to bed one night and feeling particularly gushy and emotional, and I grabbed her face, and it was this really intense kind of moment. I was like, Nora, do you know that I love you? She went, yeah. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if that was your relationship with God? I think this is what Jesus is talking about when he says, if we're not like kids, we don't get it. If we're not like kids, we don't get it. Because we want to insert, well, yeah, but I did that thing. and Yeah, but that other thing happened. And yeah, I said that thing last week. And God's going, I'm not counting your sins against you. I love you because you're mine. Security grows from acceptance and in Christ we get to live in the unblemished and extravagant love and acceptance of Almighty God. Security is the soil out of which healthy relationships grow. Because secure people are not easily offended. Imagine that. Imagine if that person you're thinking about right now could just not be so easily offended. Don't tell the person beside you that you're talking about them. Secure, secure people are not easily offended. Secure people can never be taken advantage of because they freely choose to serve. And meaning and significance for secure people flow freely out of their confidence in how God sees them, partnering with him in releasing hope others and by the way if God isn't holding people's sins against them maybe you shouldn't either from a place of security from that place of security with God just like every good parent does he then trusts us with something he entrusts us with what Paul calls here the ministry of reconciliation. Out of a place of security with God, we get entrusted with this ministry of helping others connect to God and to each other. In our reconciliation to God, reconciliation becomes possible, not just between God and us, but us and each other. Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, said this. He said, Reconciliation is not a luxury option to add on top of the gospel. It is the crowning glory of the gospel itself. Reconciliation is not a luxury option to add on top of the gospel. It is the crowning glory of the gospel itself. We live in a time in history 
when this ministry and message of reconciliation, I'm not sure, was ever more desperately needed in the world around us. People groups, cultures that are different, live suspicious of each other. Politically or religiously justified violence, rampant all over the world. We need only reflect on the events in Sri Lanka last Sunday, in San Diego last night, or in the streets of Derry in Holy Week. How are we to practice the way of the kingdom in these difficult and complicated times? At both a macro-cultural level and a micro-relational level, conflict is inevitable. It's inevitable. Whenever Dana and I do marriage preparation, you know, those kind of very naive and yet to be introduced to the reality of marriage kind of people, it's always fun sit on the sofa and at some point in the conversation I'll say so tell us tell us about the last time you had a proper row it always makes me laugh whenever they like look at each other and go we never had one of those and then it's usually slightly jarring because what I say next is okay who's lying (laughs) not lying about the fact that they've never rowed often that's true they're just not being honest with each other. That's why they've never rowed. Oh, no, 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 I'm fine. That's not a big deal. And three months after the wedding, you get a text or a phone call. Help! <laughs> Conflict. Conflict is inevitable. The question isn't, will there be conflict? It's how will there be conflict? And what will we do in the midst of conflict? God says that he trusts us with this message and ministry of reconciliation. But what does that mean? See, if we're not careful, the longings of the culture around us can seep into us where we long for a tolerant society. It's like the goal of the civilized West, that we would be able to tolerate people who think and believe different things from us. But reconciliation, not tolerance, is the fruit of the kingdom of God. Or connection, real, authentic, deep connection would be restored between one another. I wonder how many people are in your life who believe, think, and live radically different things from you. I'm not talking about that kind of weird person on the other side of the office. I mean like in your life. How many friends do you have that believe radically different things from you? This is so important for us, particularly as a church and even more so as Christians today, that we do not retreat into our silos of belief. See, that's how insecure people behave. 
where when we get around people that think and believe things that are different from us, we think, oh my goodness, what do I actually think? Tell you a funny story, right? When I moved to America, um, I, part of my job over there was to become a religious life director at a university, right? Uh, the university had 35,000 undergraduates and about 22,000 postgraduates, right? It's a massive university. And in order to be on the religious life staff there, um, I, I uh, had to come under the leadership of the lady that ran that, who's a female Jewish rabbi. And there were 38 other religious life directors on that university campus, uh, 12 of whom were Christians. And, you know, that would be a stretch for some people in Northern Ireland because two of them are Catholic priests. So 12 Christians, right? So 20, 26 others, right? Mormons, Baha'is, a couple of Muslim guys. There were three priestesses of the Falun Gong. Right, I know. What's the Falun Gong? That was my question exactly. <laughs> so here I am, just moved from Dromore County down to Los Angeles, right? <laughs> Working for a female Jewish rabbi with three priestesses of the Falun Gong as coll- colleagues. <laughs> and this question happened to me, which um, was really uncomfortable. Andy, why are you a Christian? Why do you follow Jesus? See, growing up in Dromore, God and, Sinon- and God and Jesus were kind of synonymous. There were no evangelists for the Falun Gong that bought on the circular road when I was growing up. So I've, I, I've given everything. I've given everything to follow Jesus. Never in my life. I've just never been someone who's struggled with a belief in God. That might be you this morning, but that's just never been my story. Like I, I just find the idea that this was actually intelligently designed, easier to believe than one cosmic accident, right? And so when I decided to get serious about God, that meant for me I was going to get serious about Jesus. And here I am, four years later, going, why Jesus? I'm not the Falun Gong. Is that just because of where I grew up? And what was interesting is it exposed the insecurity in my foundations. And it gave birth to a deep sense of fear in my soul actually, which had all sorts of other consequences that were kind of hard to to, to figure out. You see, if we're going to actually move towards people who are different, we need to move from a secure foundation that we know who we are and we know whose we are and we know why we believe and think the way that we believe and think. But we cannot and must not allow our insecurity to force us into silos where we only ever really live and relate to people who think and believe the way we do. When God says that he entrusts to us this ministry of reconciliation, of being able to help people reconnect to God and to each other. 20 years post-Good Friday Agreement. This work is needed now more than ever that we refuse to live in cultural silos different from people that live on the other side of town or the other side of the province. And it is as we allow the Holy Spirit to put security deep in our souls that we have confidence to move towards people who are different and listen and learn and love.
if you want your marriage to thrive. Start allowing Jesus to reconnect you to Father God. If you want your connection with your kids to deepen, start with Jesus. And if you want your friendships to fly, connect to God and allow him to build a castle of security in your soul.